Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to an Empire podcast special. The BFI London Film Festival is one of the world's biggest and buzziest film festivals and the 2021 vintage is happening as we speak, folks, and runs all the way up until this Sunday, the 17th of October, when it climaxes with Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth. We at Empire have long been a media partner of the festival, we're proud to be so, and we were delighted to continue that tradition this year by hosting a gala screening of Craig Roberts' new movie, the heartwarming and hilarious The Phantom of the Open, which tells the true life story of Morris Flitcroft, an amateur golfer who somehow entered the British Open qualifying rounds in 1976, shot an astonishingly inept round of 121. If you don't follow golf, then take it from me. That is bad. He was then dubbed the world's worst golfer, was banned from playing golf in the UK by Jobsworths, and spent much the rest of his life trying to qualify for the tournament again whilst donning a series of disguises and pseudonyms. True story. True story, folks. So this year we decided that rather than just introduce the world premiere of the movie, that we would dedicate a podcast to it as well. So I had the pleasure of jumping onto Zoom yesterday with two of my favourite interviewees, Craig Roberts and the film's writer, Simon Farnaby, who adapted his own book. He co-wrote a book called The Phantom of the Open with Scott Murray a few years ago and adapted that into the film. And we had a good old natter about the movie, about golf and movies, about how much they like golf, about Mark Rylance, who plays Morris Flitcroft, about the LFF and what it's meant to them throughout their careers. I always have a blast talking to Craig and Simon, and I hope that you guys will too. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on this very special edition of the Empire Podcast, dedicated to the Phantom of the Open by the film's director, Craig Roberts, and its writer, Simon Farnaby. How are you both? Hello, fine, thank you. How are you? Good, good, not too bad. Yeah, I mean, you know a film has arrived when you've got the Empire podcast. This is it. I feel like it's beginning. <laughs> the hype train is leaving the station. Here we go. All aboard. There's, there's no looking back now. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, this is too late now, Craig. If you want to make any changes to your film, it's too late. I have a Craig's few. just finished. He's just finished <laughs> editing. <laughs> Are you a tinkerer, Craig? Do you like to tinker um, I with don't... your film? Not, not sexually. I, I don't like to tinker as much as you normally have to, based on, you know, how many people are normally involved in the process. I mean, yeah, I kind of, if it's right, it's right. If it's not, then, you know, in and out and and all that. Get it, get it done. <laughs> are we still talking about the film? I'm not, I don't I'm know. Not sure. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so confused right now. <laughs> which, which train we're on? That's what the other thing of Eyes Wide Shut was. That's what I just described. But this is an exciting day. It's an exciting day. So, Lee, we, you guys, the Phantom of the Open is obviously the Empire Gala at this year's London Film Festival. It's happening later on today that you're going to be showing your, your baby uh, to the world. So that's still a few hours away. So are you, do you get nervous on a day like this or is it excitement or are, are you just too jaded, too cynical, too been there, done that to even care? How do you feel, Simon? I feel pretty confident. Because we've seen it, I've seen it 165 times now, and um, I'm convinced it's great every time. No, <laughs> no I we 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 had a cast and crew a couple of weeks ago, and and um, I hadn't seen it finished with all the bells and whistles on, but um, 
I feel really happy and I, I feel in the happiest place I could be with it. Craig's done an amazing job. Thank God we had a great director who could steer my shonky writing into um, the heavens. Rubbish. <laughs> Rubbish. And, uh, and um, no, I, feel re- I, I actually feel really excited to share it with how many people are going to be there? 2,300 or something? It's a lot and of people. I, I, sort of, I sort of can't wait for them to see it because it's not an out and out. It's not like Caddyshack. I'm not expecting, usually when you expect people, everyone's going to be laughing all the way through. Then you feel nervous because because people don't in cinemas, you know, that much. But I think they'll people laugh and they'll they'll be moved by bits and, and I feel fairly confident it's all it's all there. You know, I hope. How do you feel, Craig? I feel um sick. Yeah, I've thrown up many times already. Um, no, I I feel fine about the film. I'm excited to experience it with you know that many people. It'll be the best way of you know experiencing it. I just get more nervous about like saying the wrong thing before the film. That's the that's the thing I'm more nervous about. Yeah, I get nervous about you saying the wrong thing before the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, you're going to be there. You're going to be asking us some questions, aren't you? So yeah. Well, we can talk about that later, but uh, um. Uh, I wasn't nervous <laughs> until you said 2,300 people, and now I'm shit my pants. Yeah, that's a lot. Old scared. <laughs> it's going to be great. No, it'll be, be fine. It'll be fine. But you're right. It is, it is, it is not. It's, it, you know, it's a good mixture, I think, of comedy and drama. That's why I don't yeah. really call it a comedy. I mean, you know, we'll, we, the trailer will call it a comedy, sure, and we probably should to get people in there. But um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of heart in the film. You know, it's not like gag after gag, which I think, which I think is good. Yeah, I think the movie is not what people will be expecting when they hear the words golf and, and comedy, and they hear what the movie's about, Morris Splitcroft, the guy who shot the worst round in the history of the British Open. I mean, if I ever enter one day, I may well challenge him, but when you think about that, you you do immediately think about Caddyshack, you think about the, you know, there aren't a, a, a load of great golf comedies over the years, but you think about that, maybe think about Tin Cup. This isn't that. It is more emotional. It is more heartfelt. And Simon, I want to start with you in, in a way, because was this something that you always thought you co-wrote this incredible story with Scott Murray years ago? Did you think even back then that this would make a good film? And did you think that it could be more than just a comedy? when you started thinking about that? Yeah, I definitely did. I mean, from the start, I knew, well, well, the difference is it's a true story, you know. So if you were going to make this up, it would definitely be very stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you can't because it's a true story. And to answer your question, you know, when Scott and I, when we were writing the book, it started really as, as, as I knew the basic facts, like you described them, like the shot the worst round in history. And then when we started, and, and Scott and I were sort of golf fans, and so we started to look into it, and then we found out lots more interesting things about him, about his background, about what made him like the way he was, about his sons who were, who did achieve something, were world disco dancing champions, about his wife, about their That's quite touching relationship, you know. And so to, to do it justice and to, to be able to call it The Phantom of the Open is about Morris Flickcroft, it can't all be, um, you know, people getting hit in the balls by um, golf balls and golf clubs. You've got to, uh, you've got to do justice to his memory and to his story. And actually, the more 
I stuck to what was real and what was true about him and about his story and about his spirit and everything the the better the screenplay got you know so we did actually take out quite a lot of what i considered to be um funny stuff because <laughs> it wasn't true uh and we were left with the story as it is so so yeah for me it was always a comedy um with some drama in it and and because it's about a real human being you know and craig how did you come on board so the producers um nicola martin and tom miller they they um they they approached me and then i invited them and simon to eternal beauty that played at london film festival two years ago Mm -hmm. um and then kind of after that we had a conversation about it and what it could be and i don't know i think that they they liked my take on the fact that i didn't really want to make a you know a socially real i didn't want to make you know a movie that was like really you know like the news i wanted to you know kind of movie that moved like boogie nights and something that had a lot of flair to it or kind of you know reflected his his want to to get outside of his bubble i suppose so that's how i came about and also i didn't really want to direct someone else's script if i'm honest i i thought i was only gonna you know if i was gonna direct i was only gonna direct stuff that i'd written Mm -hmm. but then i read simon's script and i was like it's good. It's really good. Um, so I was like, yeah, I, I was like, I'd be, it'd be, you know, be a bloody honest to get it, to be honest. Um, but it, that comedy thing is interesting because I think a lot of that comes from as well. And certainly a lot of, a lot of taking the comedy out um, really helps to put you more on the side of Morris rather than laugh at him. Because if there's, if there's too many laughs in the movie, then what happens is you kind of question what you're laughing at. And we never really wanted, because I can't, I, I still to this day can't figure out whether he's playing people in like an interview or whether he's being completely sincere. Like I can't, I can't quite figure out Morris, the real Morris. Um, and so there's like a fine line between, yeah, I think laughing at and laughing with, and we definitely want to be laughing with him. The golf aspect of the movie, was that mm-hmm. something that, that appealed to you, Craig? I mean, Simon's a, a golf fan. He said, you're sure you played around this morning, Simon, and uh, probably got up at 5am on the course, but, but Craig, maybe not. Every day, every day. Every single um, day. Every day, I'm at Muswell Hill Golf Course every day. Um, no, I. Uh, to be honest, my dad used to play golf. My dad was really good. He had a handicap of three, which I, I'm told is good. And everything I make as a film, like my last one, he was like, "Yeah, it's weird." I was like, "Right, he's definitely going to watch this one." So um, that that would be my connection to golf, is you know, through my dad and wanting to make it for my dad. I think is he coming tonight? Is your dad coming tonight? He's coming tonight. Yeah. Yeah, my, mine is as well. Oh, lovely. My dad was a greenkeeper, um, and so I grew up around golf, but I grew up from the underneath. The greenkeepers are the sort of scum, and, <laughs> and they prefer it if you're not really on the golf course. You know, you're, you're supposed to be sort of uh, in the sheds, you know. And so <laughs> coming from that side of things and loving golf like I did, but coming across these snooty people who were like, what are you doing here? Get your shirt tucked in, bye. Um, I totally related that, you know, that, that to Morris's story really hit an emotional resident resonance with me. Cause I knew, I knew all about it. I loved golf, but I hated this kind of snootiness of it and the yeah. sort of yeah. the weird sort of hierarchy. My dad will say the same. He used to, he used to run onto courses in the evening and play, you know, <laughs> like sneak onto the course, try and play as much as he can before he got ch- chucked off pretty much. <laughs> 
Which is what Morris does. Yeah, absolutely. It's an alarmingly elitist sport, which is, I mean, I had a very snooty golf club in my, my hometown that just would never let me get within 500 yards of it. I think they had a restraining order against me, actually. But <laughs> Yeah, it just hasn't got any better over the years. It's got worse, if anything, with Donald Trump. I think it's finally solidified golf as the uncoolest. <laughs> but it's a great game. It's an amazing game. Yeah. It's a wonderful game. And, uh, and Morris actually had a great, uh, a really sincere love for it. And I remember I chatted to the late, great Peter Alice, who was a great commentator. And when I told him about the book, and he went, you know, I wish there's many people at my club and many professionals playing the game who I wish had the attitude that Morris had, which was pure love of the game and pure, pure enjoyment. And, and um, I, wish I'd, I wish I could see that more in some of the people at my club and, and professionals. So mm. it was really sweet of him to say that because Morris did genuinely love the game. And, and it mm. is a great game. It's just there's a lot of stuff around it. But Morris didn't know about that when he fell in love with it. He was like, oh, this is like a game like, cricket or tennis or you know or, or anything football so yeah i can play this and then he went oh people don't want me to play right <laughs> so yeah he didn't have a clue that he was going to come across this sort of class barrier yeah and that, that is obviously represented in the movie you know risa fan's character who was a real guy yeah keith mckenzie and mm. we sort of went quite easy on him in a way because he was really he really hated morris i don't know why we went easy on him actually well it's because we didn't really want to, the RNA actually have softened. I've spoken to the Royal and Ancient people recently who, who, who have a bit more of a sense of humor about it. And I don't think we wanted to go the powers that be are complete ourselves because they're not, a lot of them are quite, especially nowadays, are quite inclusive. And Yeah. But Keith, Keith had, had like a real uh, personal vendetta. And it was at a time when golf, he was trying to expand golf and it, it was quite a small sport. And um, they were trying to expand it, and people like Morris didn't help because he he would get like I think we say it in the film briefly, but he got he genuinely got um, handwriting experts, sort of the police, to come and go through all the entrance to see if they could find him via his handwriting, you know, which is quite extreme. But he genuinely did that, and he was because he was so appalled by. The, the sheer by, by Morris's sheer front in in doing this. Yeah. He took it as a personal insult almost. He did, yeah. And he did everything he could to I mean he went overboard. He banned him from every club in the in the country, which he didn't need to do. Mm. And which Morris was really upset about. I think I would I would have the same response though as Morris. Like if if somebody banned I I went to play golf and then someone said you can you can't even play golf in your local club now. Yeah. Like, you can't play anywhere. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I definitely would go back. Yeah, I beg your pardon. Yeah, that's so unfair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Craig, how, as a director, how did you approach the the golf scenes? And there aren't as many golf scenes uh, again as I think people might expect in the movie. The focus is elsewhere, but yeah. you do, for example, show in, in in a fair amount of detail that dreadful round of Morris's in yeah. 1976. So, from a from a cinematic viewpoint, from a directing viewpoint. How did you go about staging all that stuff? Well, watching a lot of it, watching a lot of it because we we we, sh we shot most of the stuff that you see on TVs on sixteen mil to try and get as close to pos as as possible to how it how it looked in terms of texture. Mm -hmm. um, and they shot most of it back then on a zoom lens. They wouldn't really cut to things. It would mainly be zooming in and or zooming out. Um, but in terms of the stuff that was 
in our, you know, the stuff that was 35 mil on mark and stuff. Um, moving the camera as much as possible, really, because if I, if, I, if I were to keep the camera very still, it's a very still game. So I, I just kept thinking, you know, I've got to have, I've got to get as much coverage as possible and move the camera as much as possible so I can create, you know, create pace. Obviously, tension's great and stuff, but to, you know, to get get a good rhythm going, um, certainly with a, a sport that doesn't have much, you know, that, yes. that was the, that was the main, that was the main objective, it felt like anyway. Um, and there wasn't too much of it. Like, you know, had it been 90% golf, then I think it would have been harder to, you know, like a one location movie, you know, like it would have been harder to, it's not buried, you know, like buried, didn't he do like a different shot for every, what's that movie with um, Ryan Reynolds where he's mm. in the, yeah, the coffin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's stuck in the coffin the whole movie and he's got like a different shot every time. Like, I, I don't know if I would have been able to do that even on a field. Um <laughs> had it been 90% golf, but the, you know, there's not that much in there, which is good, I think. And that's, that's also good for people to know, like, yes, golf. Yes. It's a golf a film and the backdrop is golf, but it's, it's really a film about f- family. I think that's the, yeah. what the movie is. It's about, yeah. you know, family, family values. And before we get into that, let's talk about Mark's approach to golf in the film, because he is playing a man who was famously not very, very good at golf. Uh, so it was Mark. Did he did he go method? How did he how did he achieve that? I went method. Um, I was the only <laughs> one that went method on the set. Um, uh, Mark, we went to we went to Simon's club. Actually, we went to a club that Simon plays at. And we went for the first day of practice with Mark and he got the club and he, and he, and um, he hit the ball. Like, like what I thought was a professional. I was like, there's no way he's not played before. And Mark was like, yeah, I've not played in a long, long time. I was like, he played yesterday. I'm telling you that was, a, <laughs> the swing was so good. Um, so it was, do you want, to be honest, it was easy. Cause he, he had a level, he had a certain level of skill. So, and it's, you know, it's, you, you've got to have a certain amount to be able to make yourself look shit. Cause that's, <laughs> that, you know, yeah. to have, to have that control to be able to make yourself look bad, you know, because he was he was hitting like bad shots in the same place every time. He can definitely play, I think. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, I think he told me he'd never played at all, but he clearly uh, either he's sort of a partial genius or or he had played at some <laughs> point in his life. Um, and I put him with this pro. There's a few pros at at um, my very exclusive club. Um, in North London and uh, <laughs> uh, my gated community club. There's a few pros there, but there's one called Don Brennan, who was like, he's like got long hair and he's got this slightly Irish, and he looks like he lives in a caravan, you know, and he's quite scruffy and he talks about the spirit of the game and gravity. And and I thought this is the teacher for Mark and, and Mark, I think really got on really well with him. Like, cause he, he, you know, Mark's quite a sort of spiritual guy, and and um, and then afterwards, Dom went, "Oh, he can play, he can play. He might be too good." Uh, and then I, then I saw him, and I was like, "No, nah, he's not." He was just, to be honest, he was perfect. When I saw his swing, and I'm very particular about anything to do with golf on screen. You know, uh, I go, "That's not right. That's not right. That's not, you know." Will Smith swinging in Bag of Vance or whatever it was, and you go, "That's not a golfer." And um, so he had a perfect, he had a perfect um, sort of guy who looked like he could hit the ball and wouldn't be a total disgrace, but but not good enough to, you know, he was just perfect, actually, just about right. He's actually slightly better than Morris's swing in 
if truth be told, slightly. Yeah. But they're <laughs> about the same. But he, we, I remember, yeah, in terms of how much he chucked himself into it, yeah, I think we sent loads of clubs to his house and potentially even a net so that he was playing quite, he was playing quite a lot, or at least, you know. Yeah. And he was getting, it was nice on set when I came to visit set and he was tr- trying to get tips and going, how do you do this? Why am I hitting it left? What's going on? And he really got inside the brain of a golf obsessive because it's so technical golf and there's, there's a million things that can go wrong. Cause it's, and like Craig says, it's a still sport. So you, I think there's only golf and snooker that are, that you're static over the ball. So there's mind games as well, because everything else is reactive, like tennis or cricket. You're reacting to a moving. Golf's a still ball, so it's very tricky mentally. And, and you've got all the moving parts. Your whole body's involved. And Mark's going, I don't understand. My shoulder's coming under and my, my left knee's kicking out and I, I'm coming over the top. And I was going, yeah, you're, you're a golfer now. <laughs> you're, 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 you're done. You're doomed. You're going to get divorced. <laughs> end up end up living in a caravan like the rest of us. <laughs> it is the curse. It's the curse of golf. There's there's a scene in the movie where uh, Morris hits a golf ball into a bin because he does get better. He gets better. He so he hits it into a bin from about twenty yards away. Now was that Mark doing that, or was that a stunt ball, or was that CG wizardry? What, what's happening there, Craig? Which shot is that? Is that when he he's, he's practicing? He's yeah. under the tree, yes. Yeah. That is part Mark, part The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pull back the curtain too much. <laughs> it's all Mark, all Mark. And Mark's terrific in the movie. I mean, and uh, how did he get involved? Was, was he on board when you came on, Craig? Or did you look specifically? You think this is, this, this is a role that has to be played by Mark Rylance? I think you mentioned Mark, didn't you? When you the first to mention yeah. his name, yeah, because there was there was a few comedians that were mentioned, and I was like, no, there needs to be somebody that's like a real serious actor that's also really funny. I think that's probably the best the best way to go with it, um, like a, you know, a real character actor. And then I forget how we got to him through his eight, well, definitely through his agents. But I wrote him a letter, like a very awkward letter, saying how good he is. Um, just in case he didn't know. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he, I, I had a conversation with him. And I just remember at one point, because I, I just kept talking about Paul Thomas Anderson films, and he was like, wow, you really like Paul Thomas Anderson? <laughs> I thought I'd lost him at that point. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then he was attached. And, it, you know, when the press release came out, it was really interesting. You, you know, he was like, oh, he, he was looking forward to doing a comedy. And I think he had been offered many comedies before. Which was very interesting that people wouldn't do that because he's very funny, like incredibly funny. So I think we timing was perfect for us in 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 that in that regard. And it was sort of lockdown, wasn't it? It Pretty was much. lockdown, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we shot it in the in the height of it. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I yeah. caught it. I caught COVID a week before a week before we started filming. I didn't have any symptoms or anything, but th- th- they then set up like a remote directing thing for me in my bedroom, which was. Mm. terrible the worst thing and i think we shot one day of like just shots of like grass and i was like there's no way i can do this it was, it was just so bizarre but we had to do it keep, <laughs> yeah. keep the train moving and then you thought this isn't how paul thomas anderson would do it i god damn it <laughs> <No>. <laughs> ripping all the stuff off and get i'm gonna go back onto the set 
but Mark, Mark has such a, you know, he brings such a, a warmth and a wisdom to this because this is a role, you know, obviously Mars was a real guy, but he was such a larger than life character that in the wrong hands, this could be a caricature. This could be almost a grotesque character in a way, but he, he imbues Mars with such humanity. He threw himself into um, like meeting Morris's family. Like he went up to Barrow fairly early on, didn't he? And and um, I, I didn't think really... he'd come back. No, <laughs> often you don't come back from Barrow. Once you go, you sort of get lost. It's like going down that sort of um, apocalypse now, you know, Colonel <laughs> Kurtz going down the Insula Peninsula. That road, there's one road in and one road out. Because I've been there. When I went to research for the book, I went and I met Morris's sons. They were both alive at the time. And, and wow, that was three days of mayhem because they're quite they're amazing characters. Um, and, uh, and, and Mark went up and spent some time with James and sort of went into the abyss and, <laughs> and came out. And James like, loves him, you know. So they, they obviously had a connection that was, that was really deep. And, and and I think that that sort of helped, and and just and the accent, and he came back from there, sort of a different character, I think, or like just really having got the spirit of Morrison. And I think he had that same thing of wanting to do him justice, and and he knew it wasn't just for laughs, and that there was, um, yeah, he just seemed to get it. He got the got the spirit of it. Once he comes on board, then does everything else just fall into place after that? Like Sally Hawkins, who's yes, also yes, terrific. Yes, it Then it's rocking and rolling as soon as he's going, for sure. Yeah. Um, and Sally, you know, me and Simon both know Sally, and we were like, yeah, she's yeah. absolutely perfect. So kind of reached out and, um, you know, please, please come and play. And, and absolutely she did. And one of, the, one of the biggest things really was casting the twins. That's the thing I was most worried about because that was, I mean... I'm trying to think when we cast them, we're probably like a couple of weeks out from filming, like a month probably from filming. And we were still looking, but our casting director, uh, Shaheen did a wonderful job. And yeah, Jonah and Christian are just fantastic in it. Such good energy for the film. Were you ever going to CGI the twin? Were you going to I, I was going to play the twin. I was going to play both <laughs> twins uh, with, um, with motion control. So I was going to spend yeah. most of the budget on motion control just so that I could ba- play both twins and get a nomination, like a biffer. Well, you might be a better dancer than they were. They were perfect, but they weren't great dancers. And um, they, Craig did a great job of making them look good. And they did, to be fair, put a lot of hours in. But but um, the real twins, like when I was with them, they, they never stopped dancing. Like They'd go for a cup of tea and they'd go, whoa, hey, and do <laughs> some moves, you know. Do you want sugar in that? Hey, whoa. And they were, and they'd just walk into a room and do a spin, you know. Yeah, apropos of nothing, no music on. That's that's genuinely one of the wildest strain, uh, the strands of the movie because at the end of the film you have to put up a disclaimer almost to go. No, actually, they they really did disco dance quite a lot. And they were world champions and everything because everything yeah. else in the movie just feels like it's so organic and it comes from Morris's character. And then you have these disco dancing twins as well. But that's real. That is genuinely real. Yeah. Well, that was one of the great discoveries, you know. That when we were writing the book, we went, hang on a minute, because there was so much about Morris. And then we just went, there was a sort of little sort of thing in the corner of one of the, uh, you know, documents we were researching. And it went, uh, Gene and James were the Malibu World Disco Dancing Champions, 1984. We went, what? (laughs) Hang on a minute. 
I believe they were on the Hitman and Her. Do you remember that show? Oh my God, yes. Michaela Strachan and Pete Waterman. Indeed. There's no, we couldn't find any footage of it. I think that's all been burned or, or sort of, you know, incinerated <laughs> by somebody. Um, but it is true. And, and they were brilliant and they went all over. Well, God, they went everywhere, you know, all over Europe. And I mean, they partied as well. They, they, they partied like the 1980s. Um, right through the 90s and noughties. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to let you guys go in a second, but uh, I do want to ask about the London Film Festival because obviously it's not your first LFF rodeo. Craig, you had Eternal Beauty here a couple of years ago. Simon, I think the first time we ever met was when Bunny and the Bull was at the LFF. and we was were it doing, really? Yeah, we were doing 50 episodes and we shadowed you and Paul in the car. We went from the car... Ow. God. Taking you to yeah. the venue and kind of doing some sort of weird reportage nonsense, yeah. uh, but that was the so you, you've been coming to the LFF. You've had films in the LFF for a while. It was two thousand and seven, wasn't it? I think Bully in the Bull. So good movie, great movie. I and it's time uh, for a, time for a retrospective, isn't it? It is time for a retrospective. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and uh, and so, so, what does the LFF mean to you guys? God, I mean, it means, I mean, well, to be honest, it means everything after making a movie and, get, and getting in, you know, you never really expect to get in because the standard is so high every year, especially with, you know, the, a film, you know, normally you've got a, I feel like most, you know, festival films are either, you know, three hours and silent um, and, you know, all four, three black and white, and that's fine. And they, they're good. You know, Il Buca was fantastic. I saw it. Um, but you know, it, for for a movie like us to go in, I think is really, really good. And especially where we, where we were at in the world and after the last 18 months or whatever, you know, that we've all gone through and stuff, I think to have a movie that's, you know, really hopeful and showing that every dream is kind of worthy is, is yeah, super special to have at LFF, especially because this year they have their, their best venue. And I hope they, they keep that because the Royal Festival Hall is amazing. Holds 2,300 people, I hear. 2,300 people. Um, I want all, you to... Oh, all- all bearing down on you, waiting for you to make a mistake. Chris, I, Chris, I want you dancing on set, on, on stage. That, that, that's how you should enter. Yeah, so it's super special. Like, it's the best. It's the best. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it's very special. And I would add to that, I know what it, I think, I think we, a Bill didn't get into the LFF, a film I did with the, um, my sort of ghost gang a few years ago. And so I felt that, and we were all just gutted, you know, it was like really, really hurt. <laughs> it's not a complaint it's like like Craig said the standard is high and for some reason they went that's not so so to get this in and to get and to have the confidence and, and then to have Empire you know without being um, sycophantic it was su- such a joy I went oh great Empire like it like, that's good and I'll get to chat to Chris and so that was a big thing as well so it's really really um, couldn't be more pleased to be honest better bloody go well tonight now <laughs> Well, I'm going to be wearing. I'm going to be wearing plus fours. Uh, what about you guys? Are you going to do a golfing theme? I mean, I had, I had crossed my mind. I'm not. I'm not going to. Well, I was just sending. I was sending Craig before we began this. Uh, before you arrived, that uh, I can't quite fit into my suit. So <laughs> it's, I've, I've had a bit of pandemic weight put on. So um, I'm. I'm having to improvise. Maybe Mark will still turn up in character. You never know. He might. He, I don't think he's come out yet of character. Neither have I. To be fair. One last thing before I let you go, I just got to ask you guys, what's next for you? What have you got coming up? 
Uh, Simon, I know that you and Paul King are reuniting once again on Wonka, which is shooting right now, although you don't seem to be on set. I am not on set, no. Uh, Paul, Paul is. I think it's about two weeks Thank in. God. <laughs> I, I hope he is anyway. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, that's, that's uh, shooting. And, you know, we got Timothy Chalamet as Wonka, and that's uh, amazing. You know, it's an incredible cast. So Neil Hannon. Neil Hannon. Yeah. Writing the music. Wow. He's, yeah, yeah. That's cool. He's written some ama- amazing songs, and um, what a joy. Like, he, to, he would come in, you know, would be sort of rehearsing, trying to work out the songs, and he'd come in and go, I've just written a new song this morning, and play it. And I was like, what a privilege to have this. What do you think of this? Brand new song, you know, not heard by anyone before. And they were always dynamite. They were always amazing. You know? And then you go, if you don't want it, I'll have it for my next album. So you can- <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be lots of Willy Wonka songs, about songs about chocolates on his next album. <laughs> the Wonka Reject album. Looking forward to that. What a Wonka great Reject album. I'd, I'd buy it in a heartbeat. And, and Craig, obviously you've just finished this. You've just finished tinkering with the movie, George Lucas style, adding more CG golf balls in. Uh, yeah. But apart from that, after that, what's next? Um, I think I'm going to direct something I've written. Um, I've adapted a Arthur Schnitzler novella. Can you say what? What? What's Can't. happening? No, just in case somebody goes out there and gets the copyright to it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's very clever. Very clever. So Simon's no longer good enough for you. Is that? Is that basically what it is? I'm just trying to get to that level. I'm trying to get to that Wonka level. <laughs> <laughs> With original songs by Neil Hannon. <laughs> I'd like to do something with, with Craig again. We'd, we'd, oh, yeah. we'd like to do something together. That'd be cool. Maybe like, you know, a Spider-Man, Spider-Man or something. <laughs> Spider-Man <laughs> 7. <laughs> you heard it here first. That. That's going to be in the, on the internet as fact before the day is out. Uh, gents, it's been a pleasure as always. I'm going to let you go because I have to get to American Golf <laughs> to buy some plus fours. Yes, I want to see them tonight. <laughs> Pringle, Pringle, Pringle diamonds. The lot. If I if I did that and died on my arse, you know I'm blaming you. I want to see it. Listen, I I will support you and and bring you up and go. Look at this guy. Look what he's doing. Come on. <laughs> he went to American golf for you. You this ungrateful curs. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, it's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you so much, and see you soon. Thank Take you. care. Thank you. Cheers. And that was Craig Roberts and Simon Farnaby, the director and writer, respectively, of The Phantom of the Open. That film, by the way, will be out in the UK at some point early next year and is well worth your time. Look out for more on it on the podcast. Perhaps we'll do the first ever spoiler special recorded entirely on a golf course. Oh, imagine that. Me and Simon Farnaby recording a nice leisurely conversation that takes four hours or so. Sounds just a ticket. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this. Uh, If you are wondering, by the way, I did eventually find a suit that sort of fitted me, so I didn't have to wear plus fours. And if you were at the screening last night, and yes, I know that in golf, it is not above par and below par, but over par and under par. But I was up against the clock and I had to cut corners. Anyway, that's enough blabbering from me. If you want to check out what's still on the LFF, go to whatson.bfi.org.uk forward slash LFF and pick up some tickets for some cracking stuff that's coming up over the next few days. 
The regular Empire podcast is out every Friday and we have also our spoiler special subscription channel, which this month alone has a ton of goodies coming your way. So sign up now, folks. The water is lovely. Right, I'm off to my local golf club to steal onto the green under cover of darkness and try and shoot one, two, two. You know what? I think I can do it. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.